Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of We Gotta Talk. It's a summer edition. Yay. Um, so we've had a couple of great episodes on the past weeks, and we're recycling some old episodes that have been huge hits. However, we are coming in hot with a new episode this week because um, I really feel that this is an important topic to get into, even though school is technically out of session. Um, the recent school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, has a lot of people asking a lot of questions about how we can better serve our kids. Um, I have an expert on today who is a security and threat assessment expert. He's the president, the Florida president of the Association of Threat Assessment Professionals. He pretty much um, steps in when there is an active shooter situation. He trains people in what to do should there be a surge of violence in a workplace or school community. He is the man with all the information um, that unfortunately we need these days. So we're going to dive into everything parents need to know going into next school year, because I think it's really valuable to have this information in the summertime. You can chat with other parents, maybe work together in a group to affect some really positive changes. So I'm really Really honored that he took time to be here this summer. Let's welcome to the show, everyone, Dave Benson. Hi, Dave. Hi, Sonny. How are you? Good. Dave and I would talk all the time in my TV news days. We had you on, Dave. You did then what you do now, which is um, threat assessment, security, um, advising. So just very briefly, because I, I want to get right into the school shootings and the school safety topic, tell everybody what it is you do in a day in plain English. Yeah, what I basically do in a day is uh, assist organizations, groups, communities, and uh, in addition to schools on occasion, to how to deal with people that appear to be behaving badly or uh, exhibiting behaviors of concern. And uh, what's the difference between making a threat and posing a threat? And what happens between uh, these initial findings, if you will, and people hopefully will report them. We'll talk about that. And tragedy that we saw in Uvalde, where literally that individual went all the way to the end on a pathway to uh, extreme and, and targeted violence. And that's what we're trying to avoid, Sonny. So I want to ask you this question point blank, Dave, and, and answer as honestly as you can. Are schools in their current state safe for our kids? So the short answer is it depends on where you are. Um, uh, for example, uh, I'm talking to you from the state of Florida and uh, we have done a pretty good job in the wake of the immense tragedy of the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas uh, shooting. Uh, we now have a commission that, and a new bill that was just signed by our governor that has a comprehensive threat assessment and threat management program for all of our schools. But not every jurisdiction has that. And at some point, I would like to talk about what the components should be uh, everywhere and what questions parents should be asking. Yeah, let's get right into it. So as Dave mentioned, we are in Florida right now. And um, House Bill 1421, I believe, Correct. is the one you're Correct. referring to. Can you, again, break that down in plain English for us? What uh, what that introduces into at least public school systems that you believe keeps kids safer? Right. So it's a uh, multidisciplinary, comprehensive approach. And it's everything from information sharing at the community level. One of the things I want to highlight here today is this, this is a community problem. It's not just a school problem. Uh, this, this type of behavior, sadly, is permeating throughout our, our society, certainly in the United States. And the only way we're going to tackle it 
uh, is to do it comprehensively. So information sharing, who do you share that information with? What do you report? Who do you report? How do you report that? What can you expect from your school districts and from local law enforcement? And what intervention strategies might they be able to do either on the mental health side or um, uh, you know, more punitive side? And then Lord forbid, make sure everybody in the school systems from the students all the way up to uh, administration know what to do if they find themselves in the midst of a, uh, a potentially volatile situation like we've seen. Does Florida's um, new legislation addressing this actually put more uh, uniformed officers in schools? Like, what does it do and what will parents notice um, once this takes effect in, in the real world? Right. So uh, th this new bill actually is an extension. So it's more of the same in some reason. Okay. I'll, I'll briefly touch about what's different. But school resource officers in all schools. Right. Um, uh, that the school resource officers are part of a multidisciplinary threat assessment, threat management team, which should look like the makeup of the school or the district to be able to assess these behaviors. Yes. Okay. Quick question. So we're talking about school resource officers on the ground in school right. during school hours. Do they Correct. regularly interact with students? Do they have weapons and yeah. are they trained similarly to you in threat assessment so that they're only stepping in when absolutely necessary? So, the short answer is that's a work in progress. So yes, yes, the vast majority of them are armed. Number two, uh, they're going to receive enhanced training and de-escalation because we know that de-escalation techniques can make a huge difference uh, in everybody, not just uh, one that decides the, the to commit uh, an act like this. Um, they're going to work more closely with the faculty and the threat assessment uh, team at the district level and the school level. So they are part of the process. This is not a matter of, oh, let's call law enforcement. They have a representative that's there. And that's extremely right. important. Uh, you know, my concern hearing this as a parent, Dave, is answering guns with more guns. I, right. I can appreciate the fact that there are armed officers ready and present and ready to react. Although Uvalde, it seems to be a kind of a different story that they didn't act quickly enough, but that's a separate yep. conversation. Um, I, I hate that. And I think a lot of parents do because um, the answer to violence to me doesn't seem to be adding more potentially right. dangerous ingredients into the mix. Can you address that concern? Yeah, I think it's a valid concern and I actually share it, which might be somewhat surprising uh, coming from someone like me that have been in law enforcement a good portion of my adult life. Uh, school resource officers, first and foremost, are there to interact with the children, to be there for them, build up that trust and respect. So if we ever have a situation where uh, that information needs to be shared, for example, as we were talking before we went on air, uh, school violence, particularly school shooters, is a little bit different than other types of targeted intentional violence in that they almost always tell someone. It's a parent, usually other students, which, as we know, can be uh, problematic. But the role of the school resource officer should be there for support and trust. Yes, yes, they may be armed. But that is the response piece. We're worried about prevention and working right. together to, to, to catch this before it becomes a problem. Talk to us about the typical profile of a school shooter. You mentioned one key component that differs um, probably greatly from other what appear to be random acts of violence. And that is that in this case, a lot of these school shooters, usually male, usually mm -hmm. white, um, mm -hmm. at least history has shown us, 
that they tell people about this beforehand? What else have you noticed about the profile of a typical school shooter? Yeah, so first thing I want to do with respect is dispel this myth that there's a profile. There is not. Profiling only works for serial type crimes. These individuals, usually it's a one and done. Why? Because they either take their own lives or encourage somebody else to do it. There are characteristics, however. Okay. So many of them have suffered childhood trauma, multiple child. Many of them have, have had challenges with uh, uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, identity issues, um, uh, certainly um, um, behavioral type issues. It's tough enough being a kid growing up, but nowadays uh, you have the ability to go online. Social media pay, plays a critical role that sometimes, for lack of a better term, they're actually radicalized online with uh, like thinking individuals. We saw this with the uh, Texas tragedy with, with that shooter, a lot of interaction there. And they, they, they also imitate and copy uh, other school shootings. And I think this is really important. So for example, it's been well over 20 years since Columbine. We have individuals that even recently are continuing to study and try to either outdo Columbine in, the way, in a way of notoriety, believe it or not, or emulate them. And so these are very important things to keep in mind if you see or you hear this. I mean, how is the first question that comes to mind? Does this happen? And the no. second follow-up question, having been a member of the traditional media for so long is, and I know this is a stretch because this is, this is like blaming Marilyn Manson, right? For, right. for violence. <laughs> uh, does the media though, and I have to ask you this in all sincerity, because there's a, a genuinely curious part of me from your perspective, does this no. extensive coverage that the media does of stories like this end up playing a role somehow in encouraging this? So the answer is sometimes, and, and some, some media folks more than others. I, I espouse and belong to a belief that we call the no notoriety. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, journalists have a job to do, and yes, you need to get the reporting correct and accurate. But once you identify the perpetrator of a crime like this, that's it. Should right. be referred to as the shooter. Mm -hmm. or the individual. That's number one. Don't show right? the mugshot, don't show, right. or, or whatever photo, say the right. name a couple times, be done. Because they're actually, many of them are looking for notoriety and that's part of what their revenge is and their, their frustration that they do this. Number two, please, for those outlets that still do this, it, it makes my blood boil. Uh, please don't tell me this is the deadliest shooting or the second most deadliest shooting or the biggest school shooting, because guess what? There's somebody else out there that may have trouble coping with life's challenges, and it's just another way for them to justify in their own way uh, to commit what, they, what they're looking to do. It's a ranking. We're giving them a ranking system. We're giving them yeah. a sick, twisted goal to achieve. Is that what you're saying? Right. Right. And I, I, having said all this, Sonny, uh, as you know, I do quite a bit of uh, media interviews and uh, most outlets are very sensitive to this. And we've had some good conversations. There's a fine line. We want the reporting to be accurate, quick, because most of the time media gets the information uh, before law enforcement does. I mean, it's just a reality because kids have their phones or they take photos. Or we, we've seen this over and over again. So we need to get the word out. But what we don't need to do is dwell on it and kind of put these uh, let's focus on the victims 
Right. Uh, which is really what this is about and not the perpetrators. Is there any other, um, you know, tip or or advice you would give? Because I'm sure there are people um, out there listening or, or members of the media or who have some, you know, level of influence over how this is covered. So from your security standpoint, is there anything else you right. just wish you could shake news directors on their shoulders and say, please, please listen yep. to me? Well, you know, I remember an early conversation that you and I had when we first started working together. Uh, one of the first things I said to you is people don't snap. And we hear that a lot, even in the media. Dave Benson snapped this morning and we had this catastrophe. It's almost always an evolutionary process with uh, signposts along the way. And that's actually a decent news scenario, because if we can detect some of these behaviors and recognize what they can be, we can mitigate and then sometimes stop it. These things do not have to be inevitable, contrary to popular belief. The other thing I want, I want to remind people, as devastating as they are to communities and to the schools and parents and everything else, you're more likely to be struck by lightning than to be in one of these events. But why do we spend so much time on it? Because it's what I call a high, a, a low probability, very high impact event. Because when it happens, Everything changes. And that's why we have to be ready and respond in a comprehensive way. I mean, and you look at the charts, though, Dave, comparing the level of violence and specifically school violence in the United States to the rest of the world and is disgustingly right. tilted in our favor. So, yes, I do agree with, you know, obviously statistics or statistics or chances of actually being involved in one right. of these are alarmingly low. However, relative to how things should be and how the rest right. of the world's doing it. They are right. ridiculously stupidly high. And the fact that we are speaking of rankings, even at the top of that chart is, is horrific. And it's not close. It's not, Oh, United States has this number, right. number of right. violent incidents. It's like hundreds and hundreds of times the amounts of other countries. What are we getting wrong on that macro level? It's because uh, people always yeah. say mental health, mental health. Yeah. What do you think it is? Yeah, thank you so much for asking that question. So first and foremost, it, I would love to tell you it's one thing. It's one panacea and we'll get past this. It is not. Uh, the gun issue is important to the extent that people need to be responsible and we need to make it difficult for people that are challenges to get them. But that's not going to stop all these problems. Uh, our, uh, making our schools look like armed camps is not going to solve the problem either. Because guess what, Sonny? Some of these perpetrators, such as the Sandy Hook shooter, that was a fairly hardened school. He picked there because he was comfortable with it. So there is no panacea. Uh, then the third thing is mental health. The vast majority uh, of these individuals um, do not have diagnosed mental health. Now, they may have behavioral issues, and some of them certainly are found after the fact to have needed to have some some support, counseling, and treatment. But to just blame it on the mental, mental illness side is to miss the mark completely. And that's why early detection, intervention, uh, stopping it before it gets to an extreme situation. And yes, we have to have a response capability, but everybody rushes to, you know, let's respond to it. Well, let's see if we can prevent it first, right? So that's kind of where I am. So give us things that we can look out for from a layman's perspective, a parent's perspective. Um, right in other kids in our schools or what uh, what teachers can do. Although I hesitate to give teachers any extra responsibility. Right. You know, I have to tell you this, this is just like a quick aside. There's discussion of arming teachers. And I'm like, are you kidding? We're going to pay them crap money. We're going to blame them for everything. We're going to make them mm -hmm. stuff their curriculum to, to pass some 
random assessment, state level assessment that bears no actual relation to the student's intelligence. And now we're going to say, oh, wait, you have to have guns too. You're responsible for yeah. my kid's life. It makes my blood boil. It's like not the answer to me. Anyway, I had to Plus, just insert that because, but you're hearing that you're like, well, yeah. well, let's no, no, I don't want a Navy SEAL teaching my child. I want a teacher teaching my child. And I want a world where we don't have to make that one person bear the burden of education right. and safety. It's tremendously unfair. And frankly, it's probably not that safe either. It's not that safe. Uh, the amount of tr level of training that's required. I'm a former firearms instructor and a former director of a federal law enforcement training center. You're not going to get it uh, in, in a week or two weeks uh, in familiarization, number one. Number two, uh, under the category is that most teachers that I've spoken to don't want any part of it. No, period. no. It, it's, for the, it's for the reasons that you pointed out. What's far more important for our teachers is to be aware of what's going on with our children, their students, having some specialized training on behaviors of concern, who, who to get that information to and how to do that, the interaction. Let me say one more thing, and it may not be popular, but you know me well enough to know I don't care. Uh, this punitive nature that some of our school systems go through. You make a mistake, you make a threat, let's, let's get rid of you and the problem goes away, right? No, it doesn't go away. The, 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 the root cause doesn't go away. So counseling is important. Uh, monitoring of some of these young people. The two most successful programs in the United States are Salem-Kaiser up in Oregon mm -hmm. and uh, uh, of all places, the Los Angeles County public school system because they have a comprehensive community base where if a kid has a problem someone knocks on the door if a parent isn't communicating someone talks to the parent and they monitor that situation and they've had tremendous success and that i think that's what we're trying to do here in florida so i applaud that but we have to actually uh we have to actually practice what we preach on that side so how would that look in the real world dave i'm a teacher i notice johnny is looking a little distant maybe paying less attention in class lately, I go to who? The parent? Do I go to the principal? How does that look? And what is the most successful formula? Because um, yeah. I, I want to make sure we get yeah. that out there. Yeah. And I, I think the first answer is, is it will depend. And so let's not, let's not look at this from a cookie cutter approach. So first mm -hmm. and foremost, we love to, it, uh, it would be easy for me to say, parents pay more attention to your kids. And if something isn't right, let us know. Okay. Let's get real. Right. You may not see it, or you might not be equipped to see it, but we can help them with that, with, with, with baseline training. What's more likely to happen is a guidance counselor, maybe a school resource officer, maybe a trusted teacher, a coach is much more likely to see that. That's number one. Number two, if it's not immediate, uh, if, if the result is not an immediate punitive action, everybody's going to be more inclined to report that information. Um, you know, maybe there's counseling, maybe you bring them in, you talk to them, then maybe you talk to the parents. Uh, there, 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 are, there are ways you can go through this without saying we have zero tolerance. Every time I hear 100% zero tolerance, we're just asking for another event. In my okay, let, let's dig in on this. So you're saying the answer should not be, let's use the example of Johnny, and he's acting weird, he's acting strange. You know, we see him posting weird things on social media. The answer yeah. is not to pull him out of class right away and further alienate him. What would the answer be? A, a, a counseling? Like, like yeah. if we're not having that zero tolerance policy, what are we doing? Yeah, to, uh, you know, do some more research, check their online presence, because I promise you there will be an online presence. That tells us a lot, uh, particularly uh, with individuals get involved in school violence. Uh, and then they have these teams that meet and go, hey, listen, we have a little concern with Johnny. 
Uh, well, what do you mean? Well, and what's what do we do about that? Well, do we talk to him right now? Do we need to do a little more research? Do we kind of monitor him while he's in class? Not just strictly going to pass go and throwing or suspending somebody out of school. That is that is a draconian measure. It's always available to us. But that's a cop out, in my view, that we owe it more to uh, society and our kids uh, and the parents uh, to look at this from not a sympathetic voice, but an empathic voice and and understand that there's different reasons that the most well-adjusted kid on the planet uh, in middle school is going to look a little different than they look like by the time they get to adulthood. And we need to factor that in. Then if you couple things like uh, alcohol, substance abuse, uh, if they're having identity issues Mm -hmm. uh, and they're being bullied, uh, all these things have to be factored in. What can we do to mitigate that and, and maybe, maybe, you know, maybe turn it the other way. Okay. Let's talk about practical steps that parents can take. So a lot of us listening are not involved on the professional level when it comes to schools, not administrators or teachers. Um, But we want to do something. And I know I've talked to other moms who have discussed the concept of, um, you know, having just what you said, um, volunteer groups that keep an eye on kids at recess or in the lunchroom and that who have a relationship with the administration to say, okay, I saw three days in a row now of Susie getting pushed around by this group of girls. I'm really concerned that she's being impacted here. Um, is that a solution or is that unrealistic in some way? No, I think it's a start. And, and I think, first of all, we're grading on a curve here. We're not, we're not going to blame the parents. We're not blaming the students and we're not blaming the kids. The individuals that uh, almost always get involved in this behavior have somehow been fallen through the cracks that this behavior change uh, that goes on. And by the way, change is what we're looking for. Uh, Mm -hmm. 99 times out of 100, someone changes from the way they normally are, what we call steady state behavior. And over time, all of a sudden, there's this issue uh, or a series of issues. And so we want to be able to monitor those and look at that. Number one, um, be very direct with your kids. Uh, And you and I have talked about this before. Check on them. What's on their phone? What are they doing online? Who are they associating with? Will they appreciate it? Absolutely not. But it's essential now because some of these kids that that go on to this extreme behavior run right under the radar because nobody's nobody's checking on them. Uh, and so uh, we have to do this as a team and 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 keep kind of check our our parental parental egos at the door and work with the schools and have the schools work with us and the community uh, to keep everybody safe because this, these things tend to be progressive. uh, And, you know, almost always uh, it progressed over a period of weeks, months and in the the Parkland case years Mm -hmm. uh, and he kind of fell off the grid. And when these kids fall off the grid, there's no one there to kind of pick up how are they doing? How are they behaving? Because, these these behaviors, it's an it's a sliding scale, Sonny, is the best way I can say it. We talk about the pathway to violence, right? The mm-hmm. target of violence. And they have a grievance, they ideate, they, they not only are they upset or angry, they're gonna lash out. How are they gonna do that? They develop a target, then they start practice and rehearsing. We see this over and over again. Maybe they go out and, and, and purchase or take take their parents' weapons because it's unsecure or whatever. Uh, and then they usually tell someone before they actually actually go ahead and commit the act. And so there's ample opportunity here uh, to work together uh, and, to, and to do that. 
and you notice something like you said on your kid's cell phone, maybe referencing another child or even right. your child acting strangely, the next step you, you what call the school, you call the guidance counselor. Hey, just wanted to let you right. know, this is what I'm noticing. I mean, I think parents feel like, okay, that's, that's out of bounds for me. You know, for example, say my child has been great friends with someone since elementary school. She's in high school now. And I noticed that her friend is what you just said, acting strange, distancing himself, blah, blah, blah. I know that I would feel a little apprehension as a parent going to the principal mm -hmm. and being like, Hey, right. Johnny's acting weird, even though he's not my child. And even right. though I only know this because I was snooping on my daughter's social media, I mean, but mm -hmm. you're saying do it like that is worth right. it. Do it. It anyway. is. It is worth it. And obviously we want to do it responsibly. We don't want right. to be the proverbial helicopter parent. Uh, right. But So here's the deal. Let's say you see that, Sonny, and you share that with, with a school official, a counselor or a teacher. What you don't know is there might be five or six other behaviors of concern that that child has been exhibiting. Right. And you've helped them go to the point that there's there, where there's smoke, there's fire here. Right. Uh, and so the first response, unless unless it's a, what I call a dead red case where it's obvious Johnny's bought a weapon and he's on his way downtown, which is, you know, that takes a while. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to be able to get the information in front of people that are trained to do that and get the help to the to, to the to the kids or helping with the parents uh, or with the community. And the, the beautiful thing about this Florida bill is it 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 forces um, um the school districts to work hand in glove with law enforcement. So it's not a matter of do, do we call in law enforcement is we have somebody that's a member of the team, at least on an ad hoc basis and understands how, how that works and does not overreact to the situation. So they're involved. That's key too. I mean, not overreacting. I think people have strong opinions about the police force since, right. sure. I mean, well, as all as always, but typically uh, that's exists. But since 2020, George Floyd, people are like, okay, police officers don't belong in situations where delicate emotions are involved or the emotions of kids yeah. or couples because they can escalate the violence. But what I'm hearing you say is in this case, the officer assigned to that district would have a working relationship with the administration, the ability to interact calmly with these students, not in a way where the student is being in any way attacked or directly confronted by the officer, because that would be scary, but interacted with in a responsible way. That's what I'm here right. to say. And, they, and, and school resource officers, uh, if they're trained properly, have very different training than other uh, responding law enforcement officers. Heavy de-escalation, heavy counseling, uh, heavy mentoring skills, getting involved with the with the sports teams. Uh, they they do not want to be uh, representative of uh, of a problem. Right. Uh, they want to be a representative of a solution. So not every school district is that way. That's that's what we're advocating. And uh, uh, so one other thing I want to mention here is that if you might have already thought about it, is school drills. Are drills important? Uh, are they frightening our children? Are they done in, in, in a proper way? And so uh, the answer is everybody needs to be aware of the problem. OK, everybody needs to have some planning and some type of exercising. What we don't need to do is make them so realistic uh, that you're traumatized before you actually have an event. Right. You don't want your children to come home in tears because it, we, we, we got carried away overly realistic. We do want right. them to recognize potential concerning things that are happening. And here's another thing. Um, many school districts, and it's beginning to change, is their first response is to lock the school down. Well, that may or may not be the right answer, particularly if the threat is inside the school. 
Well, that's just what happened in Texas, right? Yeah. And then then you create a situation where outside responding officers are scared to respond. And this barrier has been created where no help is coming in from the inside. And yet the threat is very active inside. And what, since you brought that up in barriers, uh, another another important piece is, and I've been teaching this as part of my colleagues at the Center for Personal Protection and Safety for 14 years, you just don't teach active shooter or what we call active assailant response. You teach hostage survival, believe it or not. You don't have to call it that, by the way, because these things can go south quick. And when they do, you could be barricaded in a situation. The response strategies are very different. Here's another thing to keep in mind. There is no excuse for not going in and trying to neutralize the threat. There just isn't. The, mm-hmm. the standard best practice is, is not to wait around for SWAT, not to wait around for five or six people to get a quorum. The standard practice accepted is to go in and neutralize that threat. And so uh, uh, obviously we didn't have that in Texas. That's going to be looked at ho- holistically and, and rightly so. Uh, but uh, one of the things parents can ask of uh, the school district and their local law enforcement is how do you respond to an active shooter? Tell us what you do. Is it the first officer that arrives or the first couple or you report it and go ahead and go in? That's what we're looking for because in this business, sadly, we have an expression when seconds count, help is minutes away. <sighs> and unfortunately the extreme case in Texas, it was that we had a lot of things moving parts that just made it an, an abysmal response. I'll just leave it at that. But that is that should not be the standard. And that's a fair question for parents to ask. Uh, what does that response look like? So what else specifically can parents ask? I personally feel like this is the time to do it. Summertime is here. Administrators have access to email, but they're not overwhelmed with typical day-to-day things. So this is the time that I want to get this information out there. What parents should be asking to their schools about safety? You brought up this good one first, which is ask what their active shooting protocol is, how they would respond in that God forbid, worst case scenario, what else can parents be asking? Number, number two, do they drill and do they train the children and how do they do that? That's another very fair and appropriate question, right? Uh, number three, um, have them explain to them what their response process looks like as a faculty. Uh, what happens if they have a troubled student? Talk about it in the third person. Uh, they can talk to you and should let you know that the resources that are in place, both outside of the school district and inside of the school district uh, to deal with these. Another thing that's not talked about enough, um, many, many of these potential situations are stopped by the processes that I just talked to you about. And I think sometimes we have to blow our horn a little bit more and say, hey, we just stopped the school shooting today. Uh, (sighs) As you know, I mean, how many parents would immediately disenroll their children? And- well, I mean, that's the other part of it. There is, yeah. there but is I guess a they challenge right- that goes with it. And, and right. they're community partners. And I mean that sincerely. So if we can, if we can get back and get regain some trust and respect and understand how the process is and, and stop the blame game, uh, certainly after the fact. Uh, and then the final piece that I'm not going to go too far down this road, but you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. We live in an environment where we weaponize politics and political beliefs. And so not only do we disagree now, we dislike to the point of hatred, and it actually contributes to some of the potential violent atmosphere that we have. That has got to stop. Our politicians have to stop it. Uh, And we just need to understand that because one of the things I've learned from managing threats to the pandemic is that threats haven't gone away, Sonny. They've just morphed. It's in some cases, if you happen to be 
uh, and an abusive relationship, which, by the way, happens to schools. Kids are victims of abusive relationships. Uh, you know, what happens if they have to go home, they're not going to school anymore, and their abuser is sitting right next to them at the breakfast table. So there are things going on here that we have to recognize have changed and aren't necessarily going to change back and, and reset. Uh, but the, again, it's all about information, understanding what you can do, how to do it, reasonable expectations of what our, our communities and our systems should be able to do. And then, uh, the, the final piece is on the uh, tragic chance that you or your family find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, pick some options, know what those options are. And the final thing I'll say about that is these skills are transferable. I want, I want people talking to their families. Mm -hmm. You go to the mall, you go to a football game, uh, you know, you go to a house of worship. I have clients that represent houses of worship that, that can be under threat. And so we, that's why I say this is a community issue, because ultimately safety and security becomes an individual's person, uh, personal responsibility. Now, age appropriate for children? Absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to, I do want to dive into that specifically because I think there are differences in how we can have this discussion with our elementary school kids versus our high school kids. We, I do want to get to that. I do want to ask you this million dollar question though, which has been a topic of conversations since Columbine, really. Do you believe that changes in gun laws can prevent school shootings? If you want to get personal about your gun beliefs, I welcome it. If you don't, I understand you have a professional yeah. situation outside of this interview, but I want your honest opinion on that. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll give you my honest opinion. I, I, I represent both sides of this coin. Uh, when I was raised, uh, we had no weapons in my house. We weren't hunters. Uh, that's not where we came from. And then I promptly spent the next 25 years of my career being a highly trained federal agent where weapons were the tools of my trade. Hmm. Certified as a firearms instructor, as I said, retired as a director of a law enforcement uh, training academy, all those things. So here's my take on this responsible gun ownership. This is not about taking people's guns away from them, but it is about denying access to individuals that could either potentially harm themselves or others. And so if we can do things like raising uh, the age to be able to buy them, um, you know, uh, expanded magazines, um, uh, this type of thing, uh, these are the type of things that we need to start thinking about doing and actually holding people accountable. Uh, responsible gun ownership means you lock the darn things up. You don't have them available. Right. So, uh, and then if you do have them around, teach people how to use them responsibly. But if you have someone you love or you know that is having challenges, behavioral or physiologically or whatever, uh, we have to have uh, red flag laws. Uh, I've been actively involved in red flag laws here in Florida a couple of times with clients. And if they're done properly, it works. It's not a forever. You don't lose them forever. But if you have somebody that's having some challenges uh, through the court, you need to get those weapons out of the hands of those individuals. And so uh, all those things are things that we sh can and should be doing right now. Okay. Uh, but as I said before, uh, it's not just about guns. Short term, that makes a huge difference, but that's not going to solve the whole problem. It's not just about mental health. There are some things we can and should be doing, uh, but it's about that information and assessing these behaviors before they get to the point uh, that results in tragedy.
Dive a little further into red flag laws, Dave, what they are and how you believe they can help keep schools safer. So I'll just give you a generic example. Let's say you have a, a high schooler mm-hmm. and um, that individual has been exhibiting behaviors of concern. Maybe it was anger. Maybe it was making some types of veiled threats. Maybe it's suicidal ideation, a real issue with young people. It is for all of us, but certainly with young people. That comes to the attention of the district or the school or the authorities. Uh, If there's uh, enough probable cause to think they could harm themselves or others uh, in states that have red flag laws, it's a court proceeding. So they Mm -hmm. go and convince a judge that for a period of time, whatever weapons they have, let's say this this guy's, this, this kid's father is a hunter. So he's got them. And for all we know, they're locked up, but there they are in the house with this individual that appeared is exhibiting troubling uh, um, behavior. Um, if it's done properly, the judge will then decree, take those weapons away, keep them for safekeeping for a period of time, six months, a year, mm-hmm. whatever that might be. That does two things. Number one, you potentially diffuse an immediate threat. See, that's one of our problems. We, things tend to go and tend to go, and we only find out about them when they're just about to commit an act, and that's, that's way too late too often. So if we can get them out of that, put them in a monitoring program, get them some counseling, uh, it gives us time to process and assess what's going on. So when they're, when they're used properly, uh, which means it's a court proceeding, we don't do it flippantly, we're not doing it just to take people's uh, Second Amendment, it's got really nothing to do with that. Right. Uh, it's, it's done for the safety and security. Sometimes it's mental health reasons, sometimes it's physical reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, there can be a lot of things going on in, in, in people's lives. So yeah, I'm a fan. And, and I think you're going to see more and more of those. And I won't be surprised if it's one of the th- one of the few things that Congress is going to be able to agree on here in the near future. Hope so. Do, are you hopeful in any way that we'll see real world changes and that we will see the parties come together in a responsible way to limit gun access to people who are dangerous to others? And we have seen, I remember, Dave, being on the news desk when, I, I can't remember what it was called, the Toomey uh, something bill um, that mm-hmm. happened after Sandy Hook, right? The, the two right. parties trying to come together to... Um, yeah enact actual change and pass legislation that would do some of the very things you're talking about right now, make it more difficult for people who are ill to access weapons. And when that breaking news came down that it did not pass, feeling a chill through my body, like if, if not now, when, if not, we keep saying that though, it's been how many school shootings since then. So I'm curious from your professional perspective, is there a chance that we will live to see the day when our leaders can get their crap together enough to find a way to come together on this. So I'll be honest with you, Sonny. I think you'll see some incremental change Mm -hmm. and it will be for the good. Do I think we're going to go back to uh, an assault weapons or an assault style weapons ban? I don't think so. I don't see it because of the political climate, but there are so many other low hanging fruit that we can do uh, that can make a huge difference uh, in that regard. And instead of blaming certain things, look at it comprehensively from a community aspect, uh, particularly since we're talking about things that the vast majority of Americans are in favor of, regardless of what their political affiliation is. It's not right. like it's, and again, look, I, I represented both sides of the coin. I had to be certified by the NRA once upon a time to be the firearms instructor. So I, I understand both, but I'm for keeping people safe and responsible. And if we can't do that, then we need to take pretty swift, swift action to, to do what we can to stop it. 
I don't know why this incites such strong reactions in people. It's it's like, to me, taking away access to an assault rifle doesn't feel like a threat to my personal freedoms. Maybe right. I'm not the type of person that envisions this dystopian future where we're protecting ourselves against the government who's coming for us. Listen, I'm all for conspiracy theory. I'm all for the ability to protect ourselves as individuals. And I don't believe the government always has everyone's best interest in mind. However, it is so difficult for me to comprehend how there is literally no crossover among the two sides on this issue to even enact the smallest change toward a better future. It is, it just stymies me as a human. And I'm asking you to be a psychologist now. So don't worry about answering that. It's just frustrating, right? I'll have to pull my my collar around. Yeah, no. So, so the message of hope here is we're going to keep plugging away at what, what you're talking about, but what can we do now? Proper training, uh, proper resourcing, um, um, awareness, catching this stuff early so they can, so there can be intervention strategies. And these are agnostic. There's nobody that politically thinks that's a bad idea, which is why the, the, the law in Florida, regardless of the political dynamics, is such a positive thing. Now, it took a tragedy like uh, Parkland to have it happen. And I think whatever we get to move forward this time, and I think there will be some moving forward in the wake of uh, Buffalo and Texas, uh, but it's still not going to be where we want it to be. And there has to be a lot of work. But again, it's understanding uh, that it's not just one thing. Right, uh, and, right. and we have to look at completely and holistically. Do you know, do you know, Sonny, that probably uh, five out of 10 or 15 people have some kind of a, a behavioral disorder? Like, it's not right. You know, and, not and uncommon so, is what you're not saying. uncommon at all. And, the vast majority of those would never think about committing one of these acts. So if it was just mental health, right. uh, You know, that would be it. Exactly. Yeah. That's like the thoughts and prayers response. We get it. Yes. That's wonderful. I'm a spiritual and religious person. Thoughts and prayers are great. We don't want any more just thoughts and prayers. Please, please bring us action. My God, my blood is boiling right now. I got to slow down on this conversation. I I get so passionate, Dave, you know, we are entrusting the lives of our most precious people into the hands of organizations and groups and places that should be safer. And it makes no sense that we are having this conversation 20 years after Columbine in the most yeah. advanced society of, mod- of the modern world. It just. And, and if I could, I agree. And, and so why do, when I talk about uh, behavioral threat assessment, why is that important? Because mo- we know that multiple or uh, clustered behaviors of concern mm-hmm. is much more likely there'll be a tragic event. So that that's helpful kind of Mm -hmm. in that process, but that requires everybody doing their part and and understanding. It's become quite successful in corporate America and and in the public sector, but within the schools, there is admittedly uh, a real tendency to lock down and just wait for the cavalry to arrive. And unfortunately, we need to empower everybody in the schools. If they see an opening, go for it. If they can get out a window, go for it. If they, you know, those, the different run, hide, fight. It shouldn't change just because you're in a school environment. Okay. So let's dig into that. We have about 10 minutes left and I really want to make sure parents walk away with some practical advice here. So let's start in the elementary school group. We're going to break this down by age because I think Mm -hmm. it's important that we're addressing our kids in the proper way. Um, So they will have presumably gotten some level of classroom training. The teachers have their exercises in place where they tell the kids what to do. Do we tell elementary school kids to run, hide, fight? If something happens 
in their so, school? Are we telling them to actively get out or to stay with their class group? Well, so this is where the nuance comes in. Okay. We want we want age appropriate children to do as they're told until they don't feel comfortable doing it. It's just like we teach our children about strangers. If it doesn't feel right to you, daughter or son, you know, get away from that situation. And, right. and so uh, the story I always tell, and it happened to me about two weeks or so after Sandy Hook, I was giving a workplace violence presentation just up the street from where the tragedy was. And going into it, I was so concerned because I thought, you know, if I say the wrong thing here, you know, I knew there would be victims, families, you know, survivors in there. And I gave my presentation, I got about halfway through it. And I was talking about, you know, that you have to you know, assess your situation. And, and if something isn't right, you know, make a decision. And this wonderful woman in the front row got up in tears and left. And I thought, oh, my word, what have I said? I had to keep going. At the end, her girlfriend came in and said, Dave, I just want to let you know, she got upset because she uh, has a granddaughter that was the only one survived the, the classroom because she thought it wasn't right and she got away. What did so, she do, Dave? How old was this girl? What was the shooting and what did she, well, she do that helped her was, survive? It was elementary school. So she just saw that it wasn't right. Kids were people being hurt and she, boom, just bolted when there was an opening through the door. And has lived to tell the story. Now that's mm. not that's not broadcast very much, but I know it's true because I was told uh, by that. And I got really emotional myself. I mean, every time I we have one of these events, I just shake my head. So there's no right or wrong answer. We don't want people running willy nilly. But if we know where the threat is, and oh by the way, if the threat is inside your classroom, we have to make some decisions. Right. Oh. It's 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 different if the threat is outside. You know, you can make those decisions. So I understand from an administrative standpoint. But, uh, you know, we have a philosophy that when lockdown isn't enough and that's the situation, you just can't lock down and hope for the best. OK, uh, and so go ahead. Well, no. OK, so I'm just thinking. um I'm just thinking of how to address this with my, with my younger kids. So, you know, you say something like, Hey guys, you probably have gone through these exercises with their teachers. They're yep. in place because if a bad guy comes in, we need to know right. what to do. But if you notice that, I don't know, what do you, what do you say? Like fill in that sentence for me. If you notice that there's a door open run or like you know, if, if there's people, other people being hurt uh, and you're all in the same spot, you might want to, you know, it, it's going to be hard. It, there's no question about it. And the older the children are, the better they understand it. So the key is the teachers in the individual classroom. Once upon a time, uh, eight, 10 years ago, teachers were being terminated for having, for thinking this way. Mm. Uh, but we now know, um, you know, uh, that you have to look at your options. And actually I was, I, I was part of putting together a, a video called uh, when lockdown isn't enough. And, and we talk about what are some of your options. And so it's an options based thing. There's no such thing as one and done. If you can get away from the threat, there's no substitute for that. Okay. Uh, if you can't, you're going to hide and you're going to barricade, whether with your class or whatever, you know, try not to huddle together for moral support. We saw that in the Virginia tech tragedy. That's why so many people uh, were shot, were shot and killed. If you can't do that spread out, right. Uh, you know, and and people that are surviving and students that are surviving these shootings, we're starting to hear stories now where this is becoming more and more prevalent to do that. Uh, and then, of course, from a teacher perspective, if you have no other choice, 
you might have to make that awful decision uh, to neutralize the threat. Throw whatever you need to do, fire extinguishers, whatever. Elementary school kids can't deal with that, but they do need to understand if it doesn't seem right to them, if something, if people are being hurt and they may be hurt, you know, consi consider the option. And then talk to the teachers about it, right? I think we have to be very, very upfront. I think we now know, if we didn't know before, waiting for law enforcement in a school environment may not be the best route to go. So uh, we have to come up with some of these other options. And I'm, I'm very uh, unapologetic about this. There's no one right or wrong answer, but we have to be flexible in our approach to these things. So if you have a classroom with a back door that's open and you believe the threat is in the front, yep, get everybody out. out, you know, and then take, let the cards, let the cards <sighs> fall where they may. I'd rather be safe and have somebody angry than, than the other way around. So that's the best way I can answer that. Uh, right. And it's an individual thing, but I think you have to have an, it's just like if someone tries to harm you, when I told my daughter, you know, get away and let somebody else know, right? So it's not all that different except for the extreme piece. And what we don't want to do is encourage people to huddle together and support and wait for the threat to come to them. That's my concern. Okay, that's good advice. So I was going to move on to middle schoolers, high schoolers, college mm -hmm. age kids. And and I think you've already kind of addressed that, though, just have this conversation sort of at an age appropriate level, tell them there's no one way to stay safe to follow your instinct and the rules at the same time, which is asking a lot of our kids. But man, you got to just it, hope in a situation like this, that everything comes together and they react well. It well, is. And smart. we know this philosophy works because we now have documented cases of kids uh, on their phones, texting, yeah. sending out notices, hey, call 911, whatever that might be. Uh, and, and who would have ever thought we'd be in a situation? So the older they get, the more they understand uh, and the more, more responsibility you can give them. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it, again, ask, ask what the strategy is. Don't be ashamed mm -hmm. to ask what that strategy is. And are, they, are the teachers given an option to escape with the children if they can? I'll take it from yeah. there. Dave, I want to do one more question to sort of just round things out. We've covered a lot in this interview. We've covered not only how to talk to your kids about the threat of violence, but what exactly to do. We talked about your thoughts on gun laws and if those will make an impact. But I want to round things out in a, just sort of a generic, broad perspective way. And I want you to offer, again, asking you to put on your therapist hat, some level of uh, comfort to parents out there listening or watching who feel overwhelmed mm -hmm. with the amount of risk that their kids are facing every day. Can you address that elephant in the room and, and maybe kind of make us feel a little better after this very intense conversation? Yeah. I mean, I think um, despite everything that we've talked about, which is extremely important and frankly, extremely heavy, just because I do it for a living doesn't mean it doesn't weigh, weigh on me as well. I can assure you. But there's a message of hope here, working together, sharing information, realizing that some of these signs and symptoms can be caught and checked and sometimes even mitigated or send them another way. Uh, make sure everybody in the family and in the community knows what what changes in behavior might look like. I don't want them to be a therapist, but I want them to know who they can report it to, what to report, why that's important. Um, also, um, and then if you have to respond in an emergency situation, have a family plan. Uh, just have a family. Know where your exits are. Understand where your limitations are. 
Uh, and if they see you doing it, mom and dad, the kids are going to do it the same way. Uh, and I think we, you know, it's not going to do away with evil. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, but what it will do, we, it will empower us as a community and as a country to have a way to work through this. Uh, and, you know, uh, it, it, you know, politics is going to be politics, but we have to be able to take back, in my view, uh, the power that we have who you vote into, you know, your, your school board officials, who you vote in your local uh, elections, the nationwide level. If you're not happy with the response of what they have, whatever it might be, we do have the power to, to change that. And, and uh, I always think back to the Parkland kids, what amazing generation they have become, the survivors of Parkland and being advocates for this. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and then, you know, hold our local authorities accountable. How are you prepared for this? How do you train? What do you want from us? What are the explanations? We've got to keep asking those questions and then recognize that despite as heinous as these things are, uh, it's still not that common, although you'd never know it by turning on the television. And I, I freely acknowledge that. Yeah. Well, Dave, I always say it's such a pleasure to talk to you, but it's such a bummer that we have to talk to you about things like this. Right. Um, you bring such a level of, of calm and um, deep knowledge and experience to this really difficult topic. So I'm grateful for your time and wisdom. Thank you very much. And, and I do want to ask for anyone who's interested in working with you. Um, I know that you have various ways that you train and help groups and companies. Right. So feel free to give us the quick uh, rundown on that. So anyone who's wanting to work with you can get in touch. Sure. You can reach out to me at um, Dave, D-A-V-E at DJ Benson and Associates. That's one word, DJ Benson Associates.com at Gmail. Um, you can also reach out to me uh, uh, via um, my website, which is uh, www.securingsouls.com. And you can get to me that way as well. And I'm happy to answer any questions your viewers may have uh, in, in the future. Yeah. Do you have any social handles that people can maybe more directly? Boy, I, you know, you know, I really do. I'm, I'm actually on, um, you can find me e easily on Twitter. You can find me on Great. LinkedIn uh, and you can also find me on Facebook. So please feel free. I'm pretty active, uh, particularly on Twitter and LinkedIn. Yeah. So. Tell us your Twitter handle real quick, Dave. Yeah. It's D uh, David J. Benson one. Pretty original, right? Yeah. That's all right. Listen, yeah. we'll find you. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, you are, you are such a, such an incredible source of, of information and perspective here, Dave. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure, Sonny. Everybody stay safe. Thank you. We got to dive into these difficult topics sometimes. And I'm so grateful that there seems to be a really um, eager group of you who want this information. Um, I think it's great to talk about the fun and the silly stuff, but it's, man, it's so important to dig into these things that really impact people's um daily lives too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of We Gotta Talk. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and follow along on Instagram at Sunny Abata, S-O-N-N-I-A-B-A-T-T-A. -T -T All of the latest blog posts are at wegotatalk.com slash blog. Yeah.